Hello, everybody, and welcome on into Betting the High Line, your latest and greatest destination for all things soccer betting related. I'm your host, Thomas Viola. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Taylor Wilson. Taylor, how are you doing today? Doing great, Tom. I'm excited to get going here. And uh, what a week to start off here, the show, because tons to get to. Premier League, Champions League, full slate for us, Tom. No kidding. We will get to all of that and more. We have so many games to cover. It's a pretty good week in the Premier League. We, of course, have Champions League coming up this week, the start of the Champions League season. But before we get into all that, let's give the people a little bit of a background about who we are and what are we doing, starting with our wonderful, wonderful supporters here at Book It Sports. You can find them on Twitter at Book It HQ. We are so happy to be a part of the Book It Sports pod network where you can catch all sorts of amazing, amazing content from some of the best minds in sports betting. But for now, you can find me on Twitter at TV at work. Taylor, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at ATL, as in Atlanta, T-Will, T-W-I-L. So that's A-T-L, T-W-I-L. Now let's give the people a little bit of a background about who we are before we get into this. What's your background in soccer? What makes this the sport for you and why is it so much fun to bet on? Yeah, I mean, I am a soccer obsessive, have been following it, uh, I would say, basically since the 2006 World Cup. I mean, I, I looked into it a little bit in 02 when I was a little kid, but 2006 was when I really got into it. I was obsessed with the Ivory Coast national team and Didier Drogba that year, which then led to me becoming a Chelsea fan. And as I've grown older, especially at the major tournaments, I started betting games that I realized there are some major opportunities to be had in this sport. And it's also just a lot of fun to do. Um, beyond the World Cups and the Euros, when I was in high school, I got into really all of it. And then in college, uh, hosted a soccer radio show and I'm excited to get back to talking about all this stuff because it's been a crazy footy year, Tom with obviously the pandemic and the stoppages and the starts and all this stuff, but it's a lot of fun and there are tons of games every single day. No kidding. There is so much to talk about. My personal soccer experience, I was a little bit of a latecomer to the sport. I didn't truly get my, get my start and really bite into soccer until the 2014 World Cup. For me, it all comes down to one moment, and that moment was the USA-Belgium game. I had liked soccer my best friend in high school was a really really big soccer fan and he was starting to get me into it I'd been to a couple San Jose Earthquakes games at Buckshaw Stadium with their wooden bleachers we'd had some fun but I wasn't truly into it until watching that game and watching Tim Howard's performance and that was for me just that light switch flicked and I was like oh this is what I want to do with my life I absolutely love this game and it has been nonstop ever since. A couple years back, got hired over by the Las Vegas Lights to host a Saturday morning betting show for them. That has since become another venture called The Other Football Podcast, which is a very fun time, and I recommend people checking out, but not at all betting-focused. Very much different, laid-back atmosphere, whereas we are going to be all about the numbers here, Taylor. And you know what? I think it's time. I think we should dive right in. Let's do it. Let's dive in. All right. Let's take a look. Let's break down the entire Premier League slate for this week because there are some good matchups. I don't know if I'd say that it's an amazing week for the Premier League, but there are. I think it's a mixed bag. There's some really high highs and some really low lows. But let's start right off 
with perhaps the biggest game, definitely the biggest game of the week, in my opinion, the Merseyside Derby, Everton versus Liverpool. What are you feeling so far on this game? Well, first of all, it's the first, I would say, relevant Merseyside Derby in over a decade. I mean, this is an Everton team that's come out hot, out of the gate, uh, probably the most exciting team in the league to start the season. You look at a guy like James Rodriguez, the Colombian has been absolutely sensational to start the year. And Liverpool, for their part, stumbling a little bit. We've seen kind of a slow regression for them in most of the 2020 calendar year. A lot of people go back to the post-coronavirus restart, but you could even argue that it went back further than that, all the way back to January. Um, and they were just so dominant in the first half of the season that it didn't matter, and they won the league with flying colors. But here we are. They're fresh off of a 7-2 loss to Aston Villa. I still can't believe that's the result that went down in that game. And Everton may be the best team in the league. Tough one to pick. I'm actually looking at a prop to start off the conversation here, Tom. What am I looking at? Corner kicks. Why? A couple of interesting things with these teams. Two of the top four corners teams in the Prem so far this season. You look at Liverpool, they're averaging eight and a half a game. They give up one and a half, so not many. That combines for 10. Everton, they average 5.75 a game. They give up 5.75. So very balanced in that regard. If you look at just how these two teams produce corners in their respective games, that gets you to 14.25, which is on the high end of everything that's offered. 14 and a half is the highest uh, prop that you can really find anywhere for this game, and you're going to get good value on that. I'm going to go a little bit lower and take over 11 and a half corners for this game. That's the prop side. I also, beside picking either Liverpool or Everton, because I think this is a, a real crapshoot, I think either team could win this game. I like, keep it simple, the over three. High scoring this year, Tom, uh, across the Premier League. I'm going to talk a little bit about that as we get into some of these other games, but Typically, you know, most years you think about three as an under number in this sport and and especially in the Prem, you know, maybe less so in the Bundesliga or something, but not this year with teams scoring goals at ridiculous rates and Liverpool and Everton, a big part of that fun. So taking the over three and taking the over 11 and a half corners. Now I'm going to completely contradict you on this game. I am leaning the complete other side here. First off, full disclosure, I am an Everton fan. Like I said, with Tim Howard being the guy that got me into it, it was even more perfect because he plays for Everton and that just became my team. I'm actually rocking here. I just picked up their new uh, alternate goalkeeper jersey because the gold and black is just such a great look. But I'm looking not so much at what we've seen already this season because it's only four games. That's a very small sample size. I'm going to go back the last three years. This fixture, the Merseyside Derby at Goodison, has finished 0-0. In the last six years, under two and a half goals has cashed in every single one of them. This is a notoriously goal-free game, which is why one of my favorite, probably out there bets, this isn't something that I'm recommending you bet to farm on, but I'm saying throw 10 bucks throw a quarter of a unit, whatever you want to bet, on under half a goal, 17 to 1 right now at at DraftKings, which is a book that will pull a lot of numbers from due to the fact that they are widely available to people and they do offer a great amount of soccer betting options. They have a really great betting menu. uh, And full disclosure, to be perfectly clear, they are not paying us to say any of this. This is just some of the personal experience I've found. But we, we, of course, do shop around. If we think we can find a better number somewhere, we will give that to you instead. 
And of course, if you find a better number again, tweet at us. I'm at TV at work. Taylor, where are you again? At ATLTWIL. Now, I really like the under, under 0.5, but that's so much uh, putting a small amount on it because if it cashes, then you've got yourself, you, you know, you've got yourself a nice steak dinner. What See, I really I, like I respect is, that, Tom. I, what sorry, I really I like, you off really quick. All good, all good. What I really like is the under one and a half bets as a more serious, I'm putting a unit on that at plus 450. You're getting a great price from DraftKings. And in the game as a whole, I really like the draw. It's at three to one. Everton's almost the same to win it. The only reason I don't want to play them to win it is because I have been burned so many times by this team. <laughs> and this is absolutely that game for them. Yes, they had a really great showing beating Spurs, I believe, five to two in uh, match week two. But this team, this is the game where they have to come out and prove themselves and say, we are for real. And they have broken Everton fans' hearts so many times in this exact scenario that it very much scares me. But like you said, Liverpool has been really not that great since January, even pre-coronavirus season pause for last season. I don't believe in them so much this year. I have them picked to finish third in the league, but this is a huge game for Everton if they want to prove that they can be that that they can be that team. But right now, I am leaning towards that plus three hundred on the draw because I I see this especially without fans being a game where both teams are able to eke out the point. Totally sensible to look at this series in past years. My whole thing with the start of this season because I've already gotten burned too much on too many of these games is I've been throwing all of that out the window because it's been so crazy. Now, eventually, we're going to regress to the mean, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, but for now, i got to just keep riding the madness, which is why I'm going into the prop department and why I'm taking the over. But I can understand that point completely. That's fair, and I really like those creative options. But let's move on to the second game on the schedule, just running down the slate here. After them, it's going to be Chelsea versus Southampton. Is there anything that you can pick as a redeeming quality in this game? No, oh, it's an ugly one to pick anything, isn't it? I mean, Chelsea this year, so many new additions. They had a ton of rotation last year, even more so this year. What I advise about Chelsea in every game-to-game scenario is you got to wait on the lineup. You have no idea what starting 11 Chelsea is going to put out there. Now, sometimes the book will adjust accordingly, but I have found that especially with Chelsea, where they're going to have a good squad either way, you want to wait on that lineup and then make your play depending on what it is. But you look at the heavy juice on the wrong side of minus 200 for Chelsea in this. This is a Chelsea team with huge defensive problems. I know they got a clean sheet last time out with a 4-0 win over Crystal Palace. Jorginho coming into the team having a lot to do with that. But it's hard to get the taste of that West Brom three-goal first-half concession out of my mouth for Chelsea. I don't really want to touch anything on their side. And Southampton, they've been improving in the last couple of weeks, but I think that's a really tricky one to, to bet them as well. So guess what? I'm taking another over, Tom. Over three, which again is a bet that I wouldn't recommend in most years, but you look at what the goal scoring has happened this year, I got to take it. One quick point as we're talking about overs and totals and everything with the Prem this year, let's throw out some numbers because I think people are going to want to know when they can finally bet unders again in this league. 3.8 goals a game so far in the Premier League this season. Now, as you said, very small sample size, but when you look at that compared to every year in English soccer history, we're talking about a 140-year history. That's the 11th highest average, granted for a small sample size, that we've ever seen. And if you look at it year to year, most of that's from the 19th century. You're looking at 1880s, 1890s. 
the sport was completely different at that point. Um, inevitably, that will regress to the mean. But one thing that I think will, will continue is what's happening with penalties. 0.66 penalties being awarded a match this year. That's up from 0.24 last season, 0.27 the year before. FIFA took over a lot of the VAR control on that, and folks expect high penalty numbers to continue um, for much of this season. So I think a lot of the scoring will continue, maybe not at 3.8, maybe not even over three, but for now, over three bets, especially for a Chelsea team that can score a ton of goals, makes sense to me. And that's a really surprising point you make, because I feel like that's counterintuitive. You would think that given the lack of fans in stadiums, home teams aren't going to get that same nudge that they get from the referees sometimes. You know, they bend to the will of the crowd and maybe award that penalty that shouldn't go their way. But instead, the lack of maybe the lack of crowds does have something to do with the reason that referees are much more focused on the game as a whole and maybe getting a little more ticky-tack with the calls. You know what's weird, though, Tom? Before the restart, so let's look at last season, right? Because we already had this example of no fans last year. Before the restart, 2.72 goals a game. That's slightly up, not a ton. Uh, after the restart, 2.72 goals a game. It was exactly the same, okay? Now, <clears throat> I think the no fans theory must have something to do with it. I think more likely it's something to do with the no preseason. This idea that most preseasons before the Premier League, it's 80 to 90 days. This time around, most teams had 40 to 50 days. Uh, I believe I saw a stat that 21% of the players had less than 40 days of an offseason because of those long Champions League and Europa League seasons for teams like Man City and Manchester United. Um, so those are really not off seasons at all. I mean, you're getting a couple of weeks off to, you know, go with the hop tub back of your crib and then you're back to playing soccer. Um, one idea is that it's easier to switch off. It's easy to switch off when there aren't any fans, you lose concentration and a defender's error is, um, penalized more than an attacker's error. That would be the, I think the natural theory there. But again, it doesn't make any sense, Tom, when we look at the goals a game last year at the end after the restart and what's happening now. It's pretty insane. I, I can't wait, honestly, to see all of the studying that comes out of these numbers because this is such a unique time in sports. We've ne literally never had something like this. And I know that's been pounded to death, but everyone is still trying to figure out what is the answer? How is this definitively affecting games? And no one really can say that for sure. It's not like it's not like in football where you're seeing in American football where you're seeing home field advantage not really playing so well for underdogs. You're seeing high powered offenses that might be slowed down by crowd noise and by a defense with a good home field. Not really happening so far this year, but it's been really tough to say so far in soccer, especially now in the new season where people have had some time to adjust over that off season post Corona restart where teams are maybe getting used to it now, but we're still dissecting the fallout. Yeah. I think that's a good point with football. I mean, you see the books adjusting American football, NFL, college football, a decent amount. I mean, typically we all think about this three point home field advantage uh, margin that has sometimes gone out the window. Sometimes that's still being used. Um, there's not necessarily a formulaic thing for home and away in soccer like that, but you have to imagine all this stuff is having an effect. I haven't noticed any trend with what the books are doing to adjust against uh, the no fans thing. And now obviously the totals are going up a little bit with what's happening on scoring. And I think the biggest question for us going forward, 
this weekend in games and the next month and the next couple of months, forget the season as a whole, let's think about this in a smaller sample size, is what do we do with those totals? Do, do the books continue to try to kind of bait you into taking an over three as I'm doing <laughs> on a couple of these games? Um, or do we start to see some adjust, adjustments? Because we would assume that there will be some regression to the mean. Maybe not as much as people think though, as I said, because I think the penalties are gonna keep being awarded, especially for things like handballs. You're right, the handball rules have been an especially new wrinkle as they still, as leagues are still trying to figure out exactly how they wanna call those. But for now, let's move on to another one of the really big ticket matchups of the day, of the day this weekend, Man City versus Arsenal. Yeah, I'm calling this the identity crisis derby. Arsenal fans going to immediately scream, what do you mean identity crisis? We finally figured it out. Let me get the positives for Arsenal out of the way first. They've won six of their first seven games, all comps, which looks incredible. Until you start to kind of look into this a little bit deeper, a couple of those were in the League Cup. One of those was the Community Shield, which some people don't even consider a competitive game. Uh, and that came, of course, after the reduced uh, preseason that we mentioned. Um, the next three for Arsenal in the Premier League, I think in some ways are going to define their season. That might sound crazy to say in October, in a season that started in September. But if you look at who they've played and who they've got up next, next up they've got this Man City game, then they've got Leicester City, then they've got Manchester United, and they have two Europa League games in between those fixtures. Now, notoriously, we know what those Thursday to Sunday turnarounds do in Europa League to Prem when you're coming back from God knows where on the other side of the continent to try to play a game just a few days later. And Arsenal usually negatively affected by that. Once again, because they won the FA Cup last year, they're in the Europa League. I think that's a bad thing for Arsenal. And I think eventually that'll start to hurt them. This is the game where I think the slide begins. It's a good team up top, Arsenal. They have Lacazette and Obama Yang pretty much as good of a forward pair as you can find. They also have one of the best goalkeepers in the league and Bernd Leno. It's that middle of the park that constantly concerns me for Arsenal. They don't have the holding mid that I would want. They don't have even the true number 10. Lacazette and Obama Yang are both traditional forwards passing the ball to each other. Um, I think they get overrun in midfield with players like Kevin De Bruyne in this game. And I think Man City wins fairly comfortably. The problem is, I don't know if there's a pre-flop number here that I'd want to take. I'm kind of hoping for maybe an early Arsenal goal and then you take City live. But uh, I do think City will win the game. Maybe a parlay them and a money line with some other stuff, but do so at your own risk. See, I was thinking very differently about this game, but I have kind of drank the Arsenal Kool-Aid this season. Oh, no. I think that's probably a mistake, but so far they've been a team that I can somewhat actually believe in. However, I hate the numbers in this game. I, I really hate the numbers in this game. When I first looked at it, I really wanted to take City, but right now DraftKings has them sitting at minus 230. That is just a prohibitive price in a contest that I think is a lot closer than this number su suggests. Arsenal straight up to win it, not sure I very much like that one either. But I was able to find a happy compromise here playing on the spread. DraftKings has Arsenal plus a goal at plus 125. That's giving me enough of a cushion, and it's giving it's giving me enough of a return on my investment that that's a number I'm comfortable leaning into. So that's one that I'm thinking about playing. But overall, this is definitely going to be a tough game, and I like your idea of waiting, not betting pre-flop, and seeing if you can't get one of those early goals and then take the side that you really want. But 
My problem here has really been Man City. I also don't believe, and I have them finishing fourth, but again, I drank the Arsenal Kool-Aid. My top four prediction this season was Chelsea one, Arsenal two, Liverpool three, City four. No longer feeling like that's really going to happen because Chelsea needs a little more time to get it together. But right now, don't know if I'm believing much in Man City either, which is why I think that I have to agree with you there about taking the taking no pre-flop number and waiting to try and get City in-game. But other than that, I do like Arsenal plus that goal because you're getting a little bit on the plus side there. Now, do you have any thoughts on Newcastle versus Manchester? This is another game with probably a little bit of a prohibitive line to it, but Man U versus Newcastle. Runaway. This is my this is my runaway fixture of the week. Um, I'm sure as as with all these, I mean, this is the caveat I'll give to anything I don't like pre-flop is after that opening whistle goes, there's always something to be found in the value department. But Manchester United, I mean, what happened? The six-one drubbing. It's it seems like a, a million years ago that their last was Prem Footy because we're on the other side of an international break. But that was a horror show. For Manchester United against Tottenham last time out. That's the type of game that often you see managers get fired after. Now, it's really early in the season. Ligonier Solskjaer hasn't been there that long, but the pressure is certainly building. The pressure is building above him to Ed Woodward and the front office as well. Um, I just don't think Manchester United, at least before the last couple of moves they made, which I'll mention in a second, had the players. They're completely imbalanced. They have good attacking players, but a horrific back line. Now they went out and got Alex Tellez at left back who may play in this game. They also got Cavani who's an attacking player is a signing that made no sense to me. Um, he's a good player, but he can't play center back, which seems to be one of the big issues for United so far this year. Um, I think they're just going to keep leaking goals until they figure out that they're that defense and Harry Maguire, who I don't know if they're going to keep starting him or not had a horrific international break after a horror show in that game as well. Um, I don't want anything to do with Manchester United. Now, Newcastle is an annoying team to bet as well, pre-flop. Um, I've bet them with some success on like plus half goal lines occasionally to try to get that draw protection. But this is one that really could go either way. It's an ugly game. I want nothing to do with it. Exactly. I don't even want to really be watching this game, let alone <laughs> putting money on it and forcing myself to do that. But I will say one of my favorite things about the early season Premier League tables, if I told you this was a matchup of nine versus 16, who would you pick in the nine spot? <laughs> you, you would think that it would uh, – really, I would think that United would be uh, higher than, uh, um, than that. But, yeah, it's, it's insane this first month of the season. Now, you want to talk about a game that, we, that I want no part of watching. We could really call it this week's El Trashico because it's <laughs> Sheffield versus Fulham. And, man – this Sheffield team does not look like the team that surprised people last year. No, I think they've got kind of figured out the rest of the league. I mean, interesting identity, this like overlapping center back play where they get their center backs really forward in the attack. It caught the league by storm in the first three months of the year last season was really fun. The Chris Wilder system. Um, but ultimately you see this time and time again, where a manager has a really interesting system. We can talk about it with Burnley and Sean Dyche in a little bit too. And then eventually just the players get found out. There's just not enough talent there. And I think that's what's happening with Sheffield United. Now, the good news is they're playing maybe the worst team in the Prem this year. In yeah, this Fulham picture, which is terrible. Which is Fulham. And uh, possibly the worst defense is either them or West Brom. 
for the two worst defenses in the league, um, Fulham and, and West Brom, that is. Sheffield United, I will say this, having trouble going forward, but their defensive identity hasn't gone completely away. They're sixth in the league and expected goals allowed. They're giving up more goals than the analytics would indicate that they should. So maybe that ends up being their hope for surviving this league this year. And because of how bad Fulham is, taking Sheffield on the money line. Wow. Plus 110. It's not my favorite bet of the week, but it's what I'm taking here. All right. That is that is a little bit of a risky one, but like I said, <laughs> I have no play in this. And I agree. You're getting plus money when you're betting trash versus trash. You're betting on the nicer trash bag, and that is definitely Sheffield in this game. Yeah, it's that sturdy, hefty-duty hefty trash bag. So Exactly. Now, moving on to perhaps the sturdy, hefty-duty trash bag game <laughs> compared to that El Trashico, Crystal Palace versus Brighton. Yeah, I. you know, I, both of these teams were kind of interesting. Um, I don't want to say dark horses in the sense of, like, making Europe or even finishing the top ten, but kind of dark horses to be better than they were last year uh, as far as a lot of the preseason conversation and I haven't hated the way that Brighton's played this year. I know they're coming off of a drubbing to your Everton boys, um, but they can kind of do some interesting things going forward. And yes, I know that there are three losses in a row in all comps, but I like their playmakers. I think they can do some interesting things going forward. And if you look at the numbers in this game, Brighton plus 170, Palace also plus 170. This goes back to, we talked about no fans I'm not sure that Palace is decidedly better than Brighton. I think they're pretty much the same team. I kind of like Brighton a little bit more. And so if you're giving that same money line offering, you think back to what I said about football and three points at home field. Um, I feel like if I like Brighton, same odds on the money line, why not lean? Pretty good value at plus 170, um, Brighton. All right. Pretty interesting. I'm. I get where you're coming from. I mean, my struggle is just that I, I. This is a stay away game for me because I just. I'm. I'm too gun shy at betting on any of these low table teams, mid table teams right now. When we're this early in the season and we're still trying to figure out who are the contenders and pretenders for not being stuck in the relegation battle, but I agree with your logic there. I have absolutely nothing to say that would counteract it. <laughs> If you're going to, I mean, if you've got basically a coin flip team game, take the team that you think is just a little bit better, right? Yeah. And I, I don't know, again, like I'm not entirely sure what the books are doing internally with this home field stuff, because again, now there is travel and, and I don't think travel is irrelevant, but it's way more relevant in something like North America where maybe there's a football game, you know, the Seahawks went to Miami earlier this year. That's real travel. It's a little bit different in the UK, this tiny country. Um, I think that's a little bit overstated. Maybe when the winter comes around, some of these places can be a little bit miserable to play in. Um, but I just don't think there's anything to home field right now. Exactly. I completely agree. And there certainly is not going to be much home field advantage in Tottenham versus West Ham either. But is there anything that you can really glean on this game for something, something that you can pull out to bet on Tottenham? Minus 175 right now on the money line at DraftKings. That's, I guess that's not a totally prohibitive number if you want to play them, but you're certainly not getting value. Yeah, I mean, you could think about Spurs minus one if you wanted to. That's such an ugly number in general um, to need to just basically be playing. To me, that's playing for the push, right? And I, 
if you're going to do that, like why bet the game, you know, or at least yeah. wait for a different angle after kickoff. Um, I will say this about West Ham, and I'm not sure that it means that I'm going to bet them in any way, but I was just looking up and down expected goals, you know, these ideas of kind of like our goals scored matching chances created or chances conceded. And West Ham has the fourth most expected goals in the Premier League so far this season. Um, they, also, they also have the fourth least expected goals. So they're on the right end on both of those things. Now, Tottenham, one of the best goal scoring teams so far this year, largely based on uh, what happened last week on that 6-1 drubbing, but they also have the third highest expected goal. So what they're doing in an attacking sense is really interesting. I think Spurs is a much better team. I'm trying to kind of ignore what I saw with expected goals on West Ham on that just because I watched them enough. Last week, they looked really good against a good Leicester team. They were the first team to give Leicester a real fight. But Jose Mourinho year two, we've seen this time and time again. People counted him out. They thought he was completely done. They thought he was a joke. Maybe, just maybe Tottenham is going to make a little bit of noise in the macro and not in just this small four-week sample size. Um, I think they win this game, not touching it in any real way. I, I, I'm always hesitant to bet on a Jose Mourinho back team, especially this Tottenham team that looks like they've gone full Jose quicker than some teams because he has that early success and then things fall off a cliff. That hasn't happened so far yet. The Gareth Bale signing makes zero sense to me. Feels like a complete, uh, complete feel good story of Bale going back to his old team, even though the old team is that's like going back to your hometown when you moved away and you haven't been there in 10 years and you come back and it's just, a completely different place and everything has changed. That's what Bale is going back to here. This looks nothing like the Spurs team he left. And where does he fit in Jose's system? I mean, the way this man operates, don't be surprised if we have Bale playing left back and being ordered <laughs> to stay in his half of the field because this man plays the people in the weirdest spots. But that's neither here nor there in this game. I agree with you. I'm not touching in any meaningful way, but Tottenham's the only side that you really can bet on. Three more games to get to on the Premier League slate. Really quickly here, Leicester City, Aston Villa. Look, great story to start the year for Villa. We mentioned what they did last game, the 7-2 drubbing. They're a better team than last year. There's no doubt about it. Narrowly escaped. They really should be playing in the English Championship right now. Um, one of the greatest, great escapes really in recent years with how they survived the Prem last season. Um and they got better in a number of ways. They retained Jack Grealish, which was almost like gaining a player because most people expected them to lose Jack Grealish. They also went out and got Emmy Martinez, who, when Bern Leno got hurt for Arsenal last year, was one of the five best goalkeepers in England. And <clears throat> Arsenal needed to offload him. It's kind of like having two quarterbacks. You know, you, you, there's no reason to keep two keepers. He might be even better than Leno, though, and Villa got him. So great pickup there. And, uh, oh, by the way, Ali Watkins, hat trick last season. That's one of their new additions as well, was one of the most exciting players in the championship the previous year for Brentford. Um, at the same time, and I like to get the kind of caveats out of the way, Leicester coming off of a drubbing, I think there's an overreaction price to that because I still think Leicester is a really good team. They haven't gone anywhere in any meaningful way since they won this league. Now, it's a completely different team in terms of personnel other than Vardy, who's still scoring goals at a huge rate. Um, but their midfield is legit when everyone's healthy. James Madison finally coming back into health, Harvey Barnes, Yuri Tielemans. That's a 
bunch of playmakers. And I still think this is a Villa team. Yes, they got a better goalkeeper. They can still be hit pretty hard in terms of some of their defensive holes. And I think Leicester will take advantage, as they have in some of these huge high-scoring games that they've had so far this season. I'm taking Leicester on the money line. Little bit of juice, minus 118. All right, that's an interesting play. I, I, I'm still, again, early Premier League table. This is a battle of two versus three right now. My biggest problem with Leicester is I'm kind of waiting for the floor to drop. I'm waiting for the bottom to fall out because eventually Jamie Vardy is going to be too old to just dominate for this team and put up all of the goals that they need to win. It's like uh, it's like some of the Cleveland uh, it's like some of the Cleveland Cavaliers teams where they just had LeBron or some of these Barcelona teams where they just go Messi do everything. Leicester's kind of doing that. Obviously, it's not on the same scale as a Leo Messi. I'm not comparing Vardy to Messi in that way, but. I'm talking about the fact that most of their play runs through Vardy. Most of their goals come through Vardy. And the man is not getting any younger. He's what, 33, 34? Yeah. He's, like, he's no spring chicken, and eventually he's going to slow down. However, he has not done that yet. But, again, the small sample size comes into play, and I know I'm just debating myself back and forth here. <laughs> Aston Villas looked very good, and they had a fantastic transfer window. Like you mentioned, the names that they were able to bring in, Jack Grealish, especially staying with that team, has really helped them make a difference. I, I, I don't know that I want – again, I, my, my betting strategy isn't so much volume as it is picking the three or four spots in a week that I really like and hitting them for maybe two units instead of one unit. But I don't know if I want to put 118 on Leicester. However, you could completely come out on top in that game. I don't question your judgment there. We have two more games on the schedule in West Brom, Burnley. Is there anything in this game that you like? This, this is a, a one that I'm, I'm going to argue with myself on here back and forth for the next minute. That um, pause just, told me everything. <laughs> just a couple of quick notes, um, and I'll let the uh, listeners at home kind of uh, make their own decisions. Another big six-pointer, right? A couple of teams down at the end of the table where you expect they will stay most of the year. We mentioned that with Sheffield United, Fulham. I think it's the same deal here. Burnley has completely overachieved in recent years. Sean Dyche, great manager, great system. Very similar to what's happened with Sheffield United, though, where they just don't have the players. They have a great goalkeeper. They have a good center back in James Tarkovsky. They don't have anyone really going forward that can kind of make the difference on their own in a game. Um as for West Brom, they do have a couple of those guys. Dean Ghana, Pereira, they've looked solid in a, a small sample size going forward. I think West Brom can score some goals, um, and I think Burnley can still defend pretty well. So then the question is, what do you do with an over-under at two and a quarter with that quarter ball middle? It's an ugly one because you don't really want to take over when you have what Burnley's defense has looked like in recent years. But at the same time, if we are to believe that the best years of Burnley are behind them, and I like this West Brom attack, I lean the over on that play. Wouldn't completely advise it, but I think if you're going to touch anything pre-flop, that has to be the move more than anything on West Brom's attack. Now, right now, oh, you're getting over two and a half goals of DraftKings for plus 120. How do you like that number? So you get the plus price. Um, yeah, that's the move that I would make. That's the move that I would make, but again, you know, 
Burnley, keep in mind the, the plays, like when people play fantasy prem, for example, the plays that people made defensively last year often had to do with handcuffing Nick Pope, goalkeeper, and James Tarkovsky, center back, because Burnley just had so many clean sheets. It's pretty clear in the small sample size that that's not going to be the case so far, or at least the rest of this year either. Um, <clears throat> so again, it depends this whole like last year versus this year. And also, you know, last year was kind of two seasons in its own right. So pre-coronavirus stoppage, post-restart, and now post-restart again. You almost have to compare it as like three different seasons here within the same calendar year. Um, at the end of the day, though, I'll take that. Plus money, I'll take that. I think you can get three goals out of that game, possibly from West Brom alone. Now, there's one more game left on the Premier League slate. And I think that this is a battle of two teams going in opposite directions right now. I think it's a battle of old wolves versus new wolves. Because you've got Leeds versus Wolverhampton. And Wolves, I don't want to say took the league by storm, but they finished greatly ahead of where many people thought they would and had a really great first two seasons back up in the top flight. But now, this season, they haven't looked so sharp so far. Obviously, plenty of time to turn that around. But Leeds has been very much looking like that Wolves slash Sheffield kind of team for this year that comes up from from the championship and instantly starts making plays and finishes in that top half of the table that a lot of people weren't expecting. I absolutely love Bielsa as a, as a manager solely for the absolutely legendary stories we've gotten. For example, Leeds had their own version of the New England Patriots Spygate, but instead of coming out and saying, yes, we were sorry, we did this, it was illegal, we broke the rules, Bielsa came out addressed reporters with an entire PowerPoint presentation explaining that ex- how exactly what they did was not technically against the rules. That is an alpha power move that you have to respect. And that's one of the reasons that I absolutely love Leeds just from a personal standpoint. But here, they come into this game as the favorite. DraftKings has them at plus 145, Wolves at plus 200. I think there's some value in this game. What do you think? There's some big-time value on Leeds. I, to me, Leeds should be the clear favorite in this game. I would take Leeds with uh, really any kind of a plus number. So you get plus 145, and I'm taking it in a heartbeat. You mentioned two teams going in opposite directions. I loved watching Wolves last year, and they still have some fun players, but they lost Diogo Jota. They lost Matt Doherty. Those were two of their five best players last year. And you could make the argument that Daniel Podence comes in, who wasn't a huge part of their team until after the restart last season. Uh, Really nice player. They still have Raul Jimenez, who is an awesome underrated goal scorer in this league. But I just don't think they have enough in the middle of the park. And how Wolves played last year was this idea of, you know, we're going to get you on the break every single game. And it was kind of surprising how sustainable that was, you know, a lot of that had to do with their wing back play, guys like Triore and Doherty connecting with Jimenez. Um, it just doesn't seem as sustainable for this year. As for Leeds, maybe eventually the league will find them out as well, but they actually have better players than, say, what Sheffield United was doing last season. They've been really fun to watch this year. Um, a pretty fun over team as well, although the under hit in their last game with Man City, which was a really frustrating loss for me because that game was just wide open and it finished 1-1. Um, but yeah, I, I can, I would, I'll say this right now. I would be shocked if Leeds doesn't win this game, Tom. Same here. You have me convinced. I, I knew that there was value in this game and I knew it was on Leeds, but I am just even more reassured by hearing that you're thinking the same thing. I'm leaning Leeds there, especially when you're getting plus 145 with them at DraftKings. 
All right, that's going to conclude our Premier League coverage here. We've hit every game, but before we head on to Champions League, you have a couple plays elsewhere around Europe that we can get to. Let's start with Nîmes versus PSG in Ligue 1. Yeah, looking at France here, Tom, a PSG team that finally broke through, didn't win the Champions League last year, but made the deepest run that we've seen during this PSG era, making the final, losing to Bayern. Uh, once there. As far as what they've done domestically this year, they lost their first two games of the season domestically. So it's like, well, what is happening? This is a PSG team that usually wins the league by 25 plus points. But what they've done since losing a pair of 1-0 games, a 3-0 win, a 2-0 win, a 6-1 win, all in succession. And I'm just writing off those first two games as them having as short of a an off-season and a preseason as anyone in Europe. I'm going to completely ignore those games and assume that the books haven't caught up because you look at what PSG has done in those last three games, they constantly win games by multi-goal margins in France, and you can get them for minus one and a half on the goal line here. I'm taking PSG. That's a Friday game, so depending on when our listeners are checking us out, uh, on this show. It may have already happened, but go ahead and rush if it hasn't yet and take PSG minus one and a half. I love that goal line. DraftKings has them at plus 102 for that, uh, for that particular one and a half goal line there. Not bad. I mean, you can get pl- plus money on this team, and that's really the way that you want to play a lot of these games where you have a top-tier team from a league that doesn't have the same level of competition as the Premier League you could still get some plus money on them betting on them to just beat up on some of these other teams. Now, moving on to the Bundesliga here, you've got one play there, and that's Hoffenheim versus Dortmund. Yeah, it's it's was this is a really tough league for me to bet. Last year, you'll remember that Germany was the first major league to come back when all the soccer was coming back after the big coronavirus break. And uh, I got pretty hammered on it uh, on a lot of my moves. Having said that, though, I like this Hoffenheim team. Now, Dortmund obviously can score goals, but they can also give up goals against teams that score them. Hoffenheim has also scored eight in their last three. They beat Bayern domestically as well. I'm getting them in that quarter ball range, plus half, plus one, plus 0.75 to give me a little bit of a cushion, assuming that they can score a couple of goals on Dortmund. A 3-2 loss um, would get you uh, some of that back. I think they can also get the draw. I'm taking Hoffenheim on that uh, plus quarter ball uh, goal line. Wow. All right. That's, that's pretty, that's a pretty bold statement. Uh, I don't know. Do you think that maybe Dortmund's going to have their eyes on that first champions league fixture? And that might be one of the reasons why Hoffenheim can surprise here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm definitely thinking about that for a lot of these games. Um, And, you know, Dortmund, you want to always think about what a team's priorities are, right? Like for Dortmund, um, yes, they'd love to win Germany, but you look at where Bayern Munich is again, and the assumption would be that they run away with Bundesliga once again. And if you're Dortmund, they've made some interesting runs in the Champions League before. So I think that will once again be their priority. Uh, And I think that's a great point on, on that related note, Tom. Now, a really big rivalry game going on, not in mainland Europe, but over in Scotland, perhaps the, well, yes, the biggest game in Scotland every time it's played. We've got Celtic versus Rangers. Yeah, and similar to the Merseyside derby being relevant again, this might be the most hyped old firm derby in some time. Rangers back 
on the prowl. They're technically in first right now in the Scottish Prem, although Celtic has a game in hand and Rangers are only a point up on them. But I really like what Steven Gerrard, remember that name, is doing as Rangers manager. I think it's an interesting team. Celtic stumbled in the Champions League qualifying rounds much earlier than they usually stumble. Usually they're kind of, we talk about priority domestic versus Europe. Usually their whole thing is we're going to win Scotland. Let's try to do everything we can to finally get out of the Champions League group stage or at least make the Champions League group stage unsuccessful in that way this year. I think Rangers is just as good of a team, if not better. You can get them for plus 163. That's a number that I saw. I'm taking Rangers. All right. Well, we will have to see. That is always a cracker of a game. But now it is finally time. We have run through the Premier League. We've hit some games in Europe. But it's time for the big ones here. Champions League kicks off this week. The perfect week to be starting this podcast. Let's run through some of these matchups, some of these numbers that we like. We're not going to run through the entire slate, but we're going to give you the games that we think are really worth talking about here. And let's just go down in a quasi-alphabetical order here that's definitely not at all alphabetical. Very much a random order. Chelsea-Sevilla first up. Great game. I mean, awesome game to start. I think a lot of people from the Chelsea perspective liked this draw for them to get Krasnodar and Rene, um, two teams at the bottom that there's an assumption that Chelsea will beat up on. But careful what you wish for because Sevilla is a really tricky kind of so-called second team in this group. In fact, I think Sevilla will win the group. I think they're the best team in the group because they already have their identity established. They're coming off of that Europa League win again. Um, They are an outstanding team that kind of never gets the attention that they should. And Chelsea is still in flux. This is the thing I say again, we mentioned it domestically in England. I'm not trying to take Chelsea in huge uh, unit sizes in these individual games at this point in the season. Why? Because they're still trying to figure out their starting 11. There are still injuries. We don't know if Ziek is going to come back into the Chelsea team yet or come into it uh, to start. That is um, Pulisic, eased his way back. The assumption is he's ready to go now after a couple of weeks uh, on the other side of the international break. Timo Werner hasn't scored a Premier League goal yet. Um, There are lots of really fun attacking pieces, but all of them aren't quite gelling in the way that you would want. And defensively, all of those question marks still remain for me with Chelsea. Sevilla, the complete opposite. They know how to defend. They have their identity in the midfield set. Um, So I'm taking them at really nice value, plus 265, Tom. Now, really quick, we, we mentioned the whole um, you know home away thing, and we're going to keep obsessing about that probably until fans come back. Like, what does it mean? In Champions League, and I would extend this to Europa League as well, um, I think it's a little bit more meaningful than domestically just because it's actually more substantial travel um, and pot- potentially different weather. You know, if a Southern European team is going to Russia or something like that. There's also another aspect to this. UEFA has approved, and I'm not entirely sure if this is happening this week, uh, they have approved FAs, individual FAs, to make their own decisions on allowing fans up to 33% capacity back into games. So most countries are still saying for now that they're not going to do that. England, for example, doesn't plan on doing that anytime soon. But I look at a country like Russia, maybe, or some of these other spots, could be really tricky away days for teams. Not going to apply here because it's Sevilla going to England, but just something to keep an eye on. I am taking Sevilla here. All right. I like that play. I think that Chelsea just too – you're not getting enough value on Chelsea on that side. And if you're going to play a game like this, it goes back to that almost coin flip philosophy where 
Chelsea might have more talent overall, but Sevilla seems like the team that's playing better together right now. I like that 265 number. Now, you're going to have to walk me through this one. I was very surprised <laughs> to find out you have a play on this. Very curious to hear what it is. Barcelona versus Ferenc Baruch. And I am probably butchering that pronunciation. I like it. I like it. It works. Um, so here's, here's what I'm going with. And I'm going an angle on Ferenc Baruch or Varosh or whatever it is uh, on the goal line. Now, of course, with DraftKings, with, with other books, you can sometimes kind of adjust um, whatever goal line you want. One that stood out to me is Ferenc Varosh plus three with a tiny bit of juice. So you might say, why in the world would you take this tiny Hungarian team with any kind of juice on any kind of play? It's minus 113. Okay, so it's, not, right. it's nothing crazy. And it's three goals that you're getting against the Barcelona team that, at least for now, I kind of like them long term, as we'll talk about, but at least for now, a little bit in flux after all the drama of the offseason. Ferenc Farris, meanwhile, in qualifying, took down the aforementioned Celtic and also Moldy, a, a, a not um, terrible Norwegian team. Two legit teams, competitive. They scored nine goals in five games in qualifying. If they get even one or two goals in this game, that plus three looks golden. I'm taking them with a tiny bit of juice. All right. I, I, I like that play. I'm, I'm not against it. The plus three, I, I, I like your logic there. I mean, if you can buy three goals and basically be playing it like any spread game. Now, moving on to our next matchup here in the Champions League. A little more even matched, but not entirely that much more even matched here. PSG's taking on Man United. What's your play on this game? No, I don't think it's evenly matched at all. I have PSG as one of possibly the three best teams in the world right now. United, not one of the 20 best. Heck, maybe not one of the 50 best right now, the way that they're playing. They're um, barely one I, of the 20 best teams in England right now. Touche. I love PSG on the goal line. Now, you can kind of find whatever goal line you like here. I'm saying stay away from the quarter ball action. Take them, similar to what I said in Liga with a clean minus one and a half. So they got to win by two at plus 148. So you're getting that at an awesome price. And it's already a play that I would like even even or juiced. I think PSG wins comfortably against Manchester United in this game. I fully love that play. And I'm probably going to tail you on that one in full honesty, because this is 100% a game that I could see finishing 2-0-3-0. Man, you could really get embarrassed here. And honestly... Do you think that an embarrassing loss to PSG would make the case for for Ole starting to feel a little bit on the hot seat? I'm not saying that I'm not saying that they'll fire him if it's a 3-0 defeat, but it's it's at the very least got to increase that temperature, right? I would think so. I don't know what their um, thought process is internally as far as kind of seeing as far as giving him the full sample size of all six Champions League group stage games to see what happens. Um, but if they get thrashed by PSG bad enough, it's totally in play. Completely agree with you there. Now moving on to Atalanta versus Meichland. Yeah, it's a so difficult Atal- name to pronounce and a difficult name to book. <laughs> you did well. You did well, Tom. Uh, they so Atalanta. Let's start with that angle. One of the real darlings of the world soccer. Um, community last year, making the quarterfinals of the Champions League, finishing in the top four in Syria, a team that's usually kind of around the mid-table in Italy and often isn't involved in anything European, um, really should have made the semifinals with one of the most heartbreaking losses you'll ever see to PSG, conceding two goals in the last five minutes in stoppage time in that quarterfinal game to uh, get eliminated 2-1. 
but they've kept most of the team really exciting attacking side in Syria so far this year. Four two winners, four one winners, five two winners. This is a team that can continue to slam goals past you. Michelin, meanwhile, has only won two of their four games domestically in Denmark. Um, I'm going another one and a half goal line here, which is not something kind of on principle I'd often recommend. But hey, when the number is right, take it. Atalanta minus one and a half. You can also get this plus price. I'm seeing plus 123. I think Atalanta wins comfortably. That's what I'm seeing as well. And I, I, again, that is how you want to bet on some of these early goings games, especially in this Champions League this year, where you there is, I feel like, a stark difference. And we'll talk about it a little bit in the futures market. But there's almost no group of death. There are only a couple groups where I see three teams really competing for that top spot. Michelin, not one of those teams, but Atalanta definitely in the mix. And I really like that minus one and a half number. You're getting plus juice on it. Why not? Now, a couple more games to get through here before we talk about our futures and send everybody home. One that I want to touch on that I'm not sure I'm going to play yet, but it's worth talking out, Juventus versus Kiev. Because you are getting a really, really generous number at minus 125 on Juventus here in this game. Now, of course, they're not going to have Ronaldo. It looks like they're not going to have Weston McKinney either, both of them having tested positive for COVID-19 both reportedly doing okay and are just fine, but obviously won't be playing in the game for that reason. Part of me likes Juventus Moneyline here because, again, minus 125, that's not that much juice. And you know the saying, you're not paying juice if you're winning, right? But also very much worried about a Juventus team that is historically very poor on the road in the Champions League. Yeah, it's the right play on paper for sure. Um, It is this classic, you know, pretty – pretty far travel situation uh, to go and play Dynamo Kiev. Um, This just screams stay away from me. I I didn't really want anything to do with it. Um, I think all of your logic is sound. Juve, even without the guys you mentioned, world's better than this Kiev team, and it should be okay, but I'm not touching. I think I have to lean with you. I think when I first saw the number, I really liked it, but then I started talking to myself about it and going, you know what? that's one that maybe I should stay away from. But I think that a lot of people will be looking into it. So I figured it was worth talking about. This next game, I like a lot more. Again, you're looking at a very heavy favorite here, but that's why I am looking very much into those alternate uh, alternate spreads that you can get. Inter versus Gladbach, And you can get Inter minus a goal for plus 123. I really like that price. And if you want to even go higher than that, you can say minus a goal and a half, and you're getting practically two to one at DraftKings. That, that, yeah. That's a lot. That, that's a lot of good that, that's a lot of good numbers today. Yeah, I don't mind that. That is one. I mean, I've said before, like the minus one, um, why play for a push when you can, you know, play for for more. But this is kind of an exception to that, just because of some of the inter games that I've gotten beat on where they're clearly the better team. Uh, and they do ultimately only win by that one goal. Um, so that's probably my play. I like the push protection there. Um, I think that's a nice security blanket. Inter is a much better team than Mönchengladbach. I have no disagreements with you on that one. Um, this is a team that, depending on what happens with Juve, could totally get into the Serie A title conversation this year and could also be a dark horse to make a solid run in this competition, the Champions League as well. But I think as far as the kind of minus one versus minus one and a half, um, I'm allowing myself to get the push protection on that uh, minus one bet. 
This team, this Inter team to me, they, they are the expendables of soccer. This is a team of complete mercenaries. A lot of them coming from the Premier League, but guys that were just straight up hired to do a job. And you look at, you got Lukaku, you got Sanchez, you, you've got a lot of talent on this team. There are a couple other names that I'm forgetting here, but they brought a lot over from the Premier League. They don't have a Cardi anymore, obviously, but... These guys, I really do think, have the cha- have the ability and the pedigree. They've played at a high level for enough that this Inter team could really make some noise in this Champions League. But let's hit one more game here before we get to our futures picks. Lazio versus Dortmund. And you are getting plus 120 on Dortmund right now at DraftKings. And I really love them straight up on the money line here because I think that books haven't caught up to the fact that this Lazio team is nowhere near as good as the team last year that really contended and pushed for that Scudetto. Uh, for that Scudetto. Well, and Lazio was sliding last year, even kind of toward the end of the season as well. You saw that post-restart fall from them too. They were one of the main favorites to win the league and uh, ultimately couldn't get it done. Um, yeah, Dortmund's a much better team. That's an interesting bet. I didn't even really look into it much until you just mentioned it. And uh, I think I am going to take note of that as well. I said I'm betting against Dortmund, at least on the on the goal line at the weekend. Part of that having to do with where their priorities lie. And uh, I'm going to take them on where their priority lies, which is the Champions League. Now, speaking of that Champions League priority, that segues us perfectly here into our last leg of the show. Let's talk about some of these Champions League futures. We have this week before they kick off those games, so it's our last chance to really get into these numbers before we see these teams in Champions League action. Who are some of the teams that you're looking at on the futures market? So as far as teams to win it all, and I already talked a little bit about them both in France and in their individual game, why are we just assuming that PSG is going to go away? They can, get, they can be had for plus 900 to win it all right now. This is a team that, granted, in a little bit of a different Champions League last year, right, with the one-leg knockout rounds from the quarterfinal and the quarterfinal and the semifinal, those are usually two legs. Um, and I think that might have benefited PSG. But, again, this is one of the three or four best teams on the continent. They would have won it all if they didn't go up against a historically good Bayern Munich team last year, one of the best teams of the decade that Bayern team was. And ultimately, PSG came just short. You can get them for nine to one. I think that's a really interesting play. I don't want to take anyone kind of toward the top. I don't want to take a Liverpool. I don't want to take a Man City even. Um, I like PSG. Now, people are going to make the Bayern case, and we can talk about Bayern as well. Um, They, of course, are the favorite and for good reason. But I just don't think there's enough that separates Bayern and PSG for there to be a plus 400 to plus 900 difference between those two teams. So I like PSG to, to you know, take a flyer and see if they win it all. I have a list of four teams here that I'm taking uh, just to kind of build myself a little bit of a Champions League portfolio. But I'm right there with you. PSG is my highest team to win it all at 9-1. to one. So I suppose that would technically be the lowest odds to win it all. I can't take Bayern because while they do look every bit as good as they looked last year, at 4-1, to one, you aren't getting any value on that side, and that's really not going to change because look at last year. Man City was a heavy, prohibitively heavy favorite despite the fact that it, it was very clear to, at the very least, me, they were not going to be winning the Champions League, and it just made no sense to bet them at almost any of those numbers. But here, you've got Bayern at plus 400, City plus 450, Liverpool plus 600. 
Bayern's the only team in the top three favorites that I can even actually entertain winning the Champions League. I don't totally. see Liverpool winning it at all. I don't see City winning it at all. I understand why the numbers are the way they are, because if they were any higher, they, books would be getting killed on the action on them. But I just don't think that that's realistic. I think PSG is the first team there where that value meets the realist value of them actually winning the whole thing, which is why I like them at 9-1. to one. But my other plays almost like Juventus, but the reality is that I just, I just don't know if I can trust this team anymore. I don't think that they've done enough to shore up the holes that were exposed in the Champions League last season. So that's why I don't really feel comfortable taking them at 13-1. to one. But my biggest problem with PSG is just the fact that they have that notorious reputation for choking at the most crucial spots in the Champions League. Yeah, I wonder if that, you know, we, we won't know until we get to some of these big knockout games, but I wonder if that is thrown off um, by what happened last year. I, you know, I think that's a run that PSG can be really proud of. Um, as I say, I think against any other team, they end up winning the Champions League on that run. And I also think the way that the Atalanta game went, obviously PSG were heavy favorites in that game, but for them to lose to a team like Atalanta in the quarterfinal, would have been kind of the quote-unquote classic PSG, PSG being PSG. For them to come back and have that miraculous win and not be on the other side of a, of a brutal, heartbreaking loss, you know, I, I try not to put too much stock in this kind of stuff, but I do think it matters inside that locker room, inside what a guy like Neymar is trying to do. Um, so it's a fair point. We'll see what happens, and it is hard to uh, – you know, make consecutive deep runs, even if he didn't win at all. We saw Spurs make the final and, uh, you know, hard, hard to follow that up. But PSG is good enough to do so. So I'm taking that. It's an interesting point with Juve really quick. Great value, plus 1,300. I mean, the idea there would be just be, you'd be betting on Cristiano Ronaldo. Yes. Um, and I agree with you. I don't think there's enough around him. There are some interesting attacking pieces. I don't like that midfield at all. And you need that to go on a deep Champions League run to win it all. Um, I'm never going to hate on someone betting plus 1,300 on a Cristiano Ronaldo bet, but it's not for me. I got to agree with you there. Do you have any other teams that you're taking flyers on? So here's one. Um, Atletico Madrid plus 400 to make the final four, to make the semifinals. They've made at least the quarters five of the last seven years. So if you think about a team that is fairly secure to make the quarterfinals, to get that four to one, to just make one round further. I love Diego Simeone as a manager. I think they're always competitive. One of the great defenses in the entire world. Um, They're also plus 2,500 to win it all. I'm not touching any part of that. Just saying that's a lot of value for a team that you might think makes the semis. Um, But again, a team that makes deep ish runs more often than people realize, I think is worth trying to see if they can make it to the semis. Now, as a general rule, as a Syracuse grad, I can't make it through any sort of broadcast without mentioning that I'm a Syracuse grad. That's just in the rule book. It's on a diploma. It's a requirement. We have to do it. Atletico Madrid is to the Champions League what Syracuse is to the NCAA tournament. That defense that they play is so tough to break down. The level of shithousery that that team is able of accomplishing is like nothing else. And it befuddles teams much like in the NCAA tournament playing against that Q's 2-3 zone. They're not used to playing against a team that just has that such special bunker ability that all of these Atletico teams have had. And I think that's what gives them such a great advantage in these two-off games. Yes, you've got that aggregate. It does change things up a little bit. But look at what they were able to do Liverpool last year. 
I think that's why if you're going anywhere with them, that's, that's a team that you can take one of those late flyers on. Yeah. You mentioned shithousery. They're just so annoying to play against. And by the way, very on brand, you know, which player they went out and got Luis Suarez. Yes. So you want to talk about someone that just annoys the hell out of the opponents. And sometimes takes a bite out of me in a bite off more often than not, I would say, uh, that leads me, though, to a little bit of an interesting uh, goal scorer play. I'm taking a flyer on Luis Suarez as top goal scorer at plus 6,600. I think that value is incredible. This is a guy who scored 26 goals in 60 career Champions League games. The argument against that is, will he get enough minutes? He's 33 years old at this point. He's been kind of in and out in the first three games that he's played for Atletico so far. But he came in off the bench in his first game, scored two goals in 20 minutes in Spain. The other couple of games he started, then got subbed off. So maybe the argument is he can't play 90 minutes as effectively anymore. They also have a lot of rotation there with guys like Diego Costa. Um, But if he's in there, if he's getting the minutes, 66 to 1, if you already think Atletico can make the semis, which I'm laying my chip, my cards onto, um, you know, I, I don't think it's a terrible play as far as those kind of crazy value moves. Top goal scorer is so hard to predict anyway. Why not take a flyer on a 66 to one? It's almost like betting. Uh, it's almost like betting Kino. That's how you have to play it. You're just picking a couple numbers and seeing what's going to happen. If you're getting that exactly. much value, I can never hate on a play like that. Now, I've got a couple value plays here that I genuinely believe have more than outside shots to win the Champions League. Like I said, I like to keep a little bit of a portfolio. PSG is my heavy my, my heavyweight favorite, but I really, really love Dortmund. This team is one that we have seen with the ability to make it into a Champions League final. Of course, losing to Bayern in the Gus Johnson era of Fox Champions League mm-hmm. broadcasts. What an era to forget. No kidding. But Dortmund's 30 to 1. This is a team that refused to sell Jaden Sancho, which was a huge, huge move that I absolutely loved. Finally, this team says, you know what? We've got a great player. We're not just going to give him to Bayern or give him to Man United and give him to someone else. We're going to actually try and make a run here because we have this great young core. Of course, Gio Reyna, the American, who's been getting some great minutes for them. I really hope that he can have a Pulisic kind of career. That would be absolutely amazing, but we're still far away from that getting there. But then you have to talk about the man of the hour, the absolute robot that is Erling Haaland. The, <laughs> he, is, he is on that same plane at this point, I think. And it could be a little bit of hyperbole, but when you're talking about the next generation of players that's going to be your Messi and Ronaldo, you got to look at names like, of course, Mbappe. But Holland is really starting to get into that conversation. He has been an absolute freak, and he could help lead what is a very strong Dortmund team that, again, you're getting at 30-1 to 1 right now. I can't hate on a number like that on a team that I see with a very genuine shot at winning it. I mean, Holland is, is an incredibly special player. You mentioned Reyna, three assists. Teenage American teenager with a three-assist Bundesliga game last time out. Absolutely incredible. Um, the thing I love about Dortmund is just this, you know, they have all of these kids, but they also have a Mats Hummels. They have an Emery Chan. They have some of these veterans that can kind of help keep the stability and, um, yes. and keep the ship afloat. Uh, and also, like, let's not forget, like, gambling can be fun, and betting on a Dortmund team is a fun team to ride. They're so fun to watch. 
Um, and I, I like that play. I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to take a Dortmund flyer. Now, two more bets for me that are a little bit further down on my list, but I'm taking two Italian teams here, and we've talked about both of them today already. Inter at 30-1, to and then Atalanta at 35-1. to This Atalanta team is even better than last year. Last year, they, were, they made somewhat of the Cinderella run, much like Ajax the year before them. I think that they've gone out and improved to the point where they can actually go and compete like that and it not be a fluke. Like you said, they are slamming goals home in Serie A right now. They have a good enough defense to get them through. And I really think that this team is going to be one that no one wants to play when they get to the knockout stages in this tournament. And as long as they don't get a particularly brutal draw, 35 to 1 is a number that I really like on them because they could genuinely win it all. And then Inter, like I said, 30-1 to for a team that's got loads of Premier League experience, loads of talented players, and can also heavily compete. And especially when you you have the blood in the water from Juve that doesn't look all that great this year, I think that these teams are really going to want to make a push both in the Champions League and in Serie A. And I like having just a couple futures. That way, if I'm right about one of these teams, I don't care that I was wrong about the other three, you know? For sure. I think that's a great strategy. Um, my counter, and it's a mini counter because I love both of those teams, is what are they trying to do domestically? You know, how far off does Juve fall? And do we get to a point where either Inter or Atalanta have a chance to win the Serie A, which they haven't done? I mean, I don't know if Atalanta's ever done it. Inter hasn't done it in a long time. Um, if they're right there within like a game's worth of points in the stretch run of the season, they might just put even more priority on that. I know it sounds insane because in theory, the Champions League should be what you're trying to win, but it's been so long that someone other than Juve has won in Italy. Yeah. There might be kind of an idea of prioritizing the lineups in those uh, games. Now there's enough depth, especially with Inter to be able to rotate that lineup enough to continue to be successful. Um, And I love the chemistry at Atalanta. They have two Colombians, Zapata and Muriel up top who just played a couple of games back with Colombia over the international break, um, scoring goals, uh, linking up together. These are guys that basically are inseparable. Playing for a club and country together is awesome. Uh, Love Atalanta's midfield. Look, there's way too much value there to ignore for either of those teams. So I don't mind it. You know, maybe a small unit, see what happens. Exactly. My trepidation is the same as yours. If there's a tough battle at the top, they could start prioritizing that. But I, again, it's taking that small play on some of these potentially big payouts that are teams that I do believe have a feasible shot of winning it. Anytime I can get something like that, I'm going to try and take it. It's not like just taking random shots in the dark on some really long odds teams. I also yeah, do like, absolutely. I also do like inner to win group B They're plus plus one ninety on DraftKings to do that. Uh, obviously not putting a ton of money in that, but you're getting practically two to one on a team that I think has a very genuine shot to win a group that like we talked about, not one of those groups with a whole bunch of talent in it. You've only got, as I'm looking here at the groups, group B's got, you've got Real, Inter, Mönchengladbach, and Shakhtar. That is one of the tougher groups. I think Shakhtar is a pretty good team. Mönchengladbach is okay. But I just don't know how good Real Madrid actually is this season yet. And I think that they are they are ripe for the picking in a, in, a, in a group like this where you could really see Inter 
take over the group and get the most out of it. Because think about it, if they can win their games against Shakhtar, win their games against Munch and Gladbach and split Real, they've, already, they've, they've got it in the back. Also a group like that, it can be a good idea to take a team like Inter to win a group like that when everyone's just kind of beating up on each other. Yeah. Um, I, I think your point is sound about Real also. I'm going to need to see a lot more from them uh, in both Spain and in Europe before I think that Real is back to being Real Madrid in any tangible way. Uh, I want nothing to do with them on any kind of a major future or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I think that's an interesting move. It's, it's weird with Inter cause like, I understand why the books are putting the prices with Inter where they are, but I, it feels to me like not enough people followed their Europa League run last year, followed what they were doing in Syria. This is a really good soccer team. And I think there's some value to be had. All right. Now, Taylor, before we wrap up the show here, let's recap and give everyone our top three plays of the week. And we will track these throughout the season and give you guys a good, exa- a good idea of what our record is going to be at the end of the year, tracking all these plays. But what do you have for us for a recap here? What are your top three plays of the week? Going back to England for one of them, we were both so enthusiastic with Leeds. I am locking that up as one of my top three picks of the week. Um, that has as much to do with the Wolves' decline as it does with Leeds. But I think this is one of the best newly promoted teams we've seen in a long time in England, this Leeds United team. Uh, I'm taking them. Uh, as I have often so far in this early season uh, to top Wolves uh, there. Going into the Champions League, we mentioned Chelsea-Sevilla. I just think there's too much transition still at Chelsea. Chelsea could be a really fun team to bet in the second half of the season, but there are too many question marks surrounding that team right now. Sevilla, as we said, their identity is set. You can get them uh, with a ton of value at Moneyline plus 265. Uh, So I'm taking Sevilla Moneyline there. And then Well, I had to decide between which of my PSG plays, but I'm going to Europe because it's more fun to hate on Manchester United. PSG minus one and a half with that crazy value at plus 148. I think PSG wins that comfortably by two plus goals. Those are my three of the week. All right. My three for this week. Going to stick with the Merseyside Derby. I will be absolutely up at 4.30 a.m. to watch this game. Nervous as all hell, but I'm going to have to take – under one and a half goals at plus 450. I hope that Everton wins the game. I'm certainly not going to bet on them to win the game because of the heartbreak that I've gotten. Like you said, draws haven't come through so much in the Prem so far this season. So I'm going to take under one and a half goals. I think this is going to be a very low scoring game. And again, I'm definitely putting at least a fiver down on under half a goal at 17 to one, but going to move on from there. My second pick I'm going high risk, high reward this week because I'm going with Arsenal plus a goal at plus 125. I think that they have, I think that they can keep that close enough where, especially if you're getting the draw at, and you're going to win, and then you're, you've got that little bit of push protection that we talked about. Give me Arsenal plus one, 125. And then my third pick, I will head to Europe. Dortmund plus 120 on the money line versus Lazio. Those are going to be my three locks of the week here. And then, Definitely taking Dortmund in the futures market here. Yeah, don't mind two of them. We are completely on uh, opposite schools of thought on the uh, Merseyside Derby. So that'll be our big kind of early pride game. Uh, Well, you for many reasons since you're an Everton fan, but... No doubt about it. All right, we have run very long in the tooth here. Normally, for those of you who are still with us at this point, we're going to try and keep the show about an hour, but today just so much to get through with all of the Champions League starting and 
a great Premier League slate. So, hey, just more content for everybody. But for now, that is going to do it for us. If you like the show, please, please, please give us a like. Give us a rating. Subscribe. Share with your friends. Let them know that, hey, you think that we give some really good picks. Or, hey, you think that we're idiots and you just have to hear how bad we are. We don't care as long as you're listening. You can tweet at us on social media. I'm at TV at work. Taylor, where are you at? At A-T-L-T-W-I-L. A-T-L-T-W-I-L. All right. And once again, you can find our wonderful, wonderful hosts here, Book It Sports at Book It HQ. We are part of the Book It Sports Pod Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the first and hopefully the first of very, very many episodes of Playing the High Line. Thank you so much for being with us. Good luck this weekend.